Good morning again. Glad to be here with you all today. Uh, as we begin, I just want to make you all aware, as I did last week, that we have uh, great tables set up out here in the foyer uh, celebrating black history. And as I said last week, uh, February isn't the only time we think about this here at this church. I don't ever want that to be the, the thought or the idea, uh, but it is a time where we have an intentional time to reflect and to see uh, what the things we don't know and how we can be illuminated in our lives more and more. So I highly encourage, we actually have last week's table up. There's going to be different tables every week. So if last week you had to get out of here, you had something going on, last week's table is still out there, and there's a beautiful table out there as well. Uh, so please make sure you go out there. And again, the reason for these tables is to talk, have conversations, to learn about one another. And as I was thinking about this week, last week I shared with you a book that's a very kind of short read, a quick read. This is not a short or quick read, but this is probably one of the reads that illuminated me uh, more so in my life than any other book on this matter, but it's called The, the New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Uh, incredible book, but kind of in line with this idea of having com constant conversation, uh, this quote stuck out to me. One of the great tragedy of man's long trek along the highway of history has been the, li the limiting of neighborly concern to tribe, race, class, or nation. The consequence of this narrow, insular attitude is that, is that one does not really mind what happens to the people outside his group. Racial indifference and blindness even more than overt racial hostility, form the sturdy foundation for all racial caste systems. And so we don't want that to happen. Nobody wants that to happen, but we want to be a place that we can have open and honest conversation with one another to learn more and more about one another's struggle and triumphs along the way. So please, as you exit, please make sure you check out those tables today. So we're going to continue here in Luke chapter 9. Uh, this week. I hope that you had some time to reflect. We, like I said last week, it was a big chunk of text that we kind of went through in, in Luke chapter 8. But in Luke chapter 9, things are going to change very drastically. But to recap last week, we talked about the importance of the abundant love and recognizing the importance of the abundance of love that Jesus gives to us. The mercy and grace that we receive on a daily basis. We talked about how we need to surrender to that love, and we don't like to surrender much in our lives, but that's the exact type of love we need to surrender to, and that Jesus has plenty of love to go around. Right? This abundance that we talk about is not something, like we talked last week a little bit about when you have a lot of food and you don't care about who gets what because there's so much food to share. That's the love that Jesus has for us. Be more and more willing to surrender to that and more and more willing to give it to others. Uh, so this week, like I said, we're going to be in chapter 9, but before we get there, I want to ask this question this morning. What does it take to really know a person? Right, if you were to ask me, Jimmy, tell me about yourself, I would give you very superficial things. You could probably find out very quickly without even asking me, right? I am a 31-year-old man who lives in Palm Bay, Florida. I have a wife, two kids. I am a minister at a church here. I like these things. I dislike these things. And you can create a pretty good profile about who I am as a person. But to quote my favorite person, one of my favorite characters, Shrek, right? Uh, people are like onions, right? Layers upon layers that build the foundation of what a human being is, right? So you might know things about and people might know things about you, but in order to really get to know a person, right, you have to go through life with them, right? When you get to know your spouse, think about your dating relationships. It wasn't just, oh, I like this profile of information. I want to be with you. No, it's shared 
experiences, going on dates together. It's not just romantic relationships, but friendships as well. I've talked about plenty of friendships that I've developed over the years through crazy situations that took place, shared experiences that mold and grow the foundation of our friendships, right? And it goes beyond that personal data-driven formation of who you are as a person to the person that you truly are, the person that you kind of show to just a handful of people, right? We have those people in our lives that we just share everything with. And I think Jesus actually gives us a really great example through how he communicates to people of these kind of layers of relationships, right? He has this kind of individual relationship with God the Father, often seeking time to go pray alone with God. But then he has his inner circle, right? He has his, uh, his Peter, uh, James, and John, his inner three, who we're going to talk about next week, he takes up to the transfiguration moment. He has his other uh, 12 people that he surrounds himself with, that, that, that he shares himself with, and we're going to talk more about that here too. And then he has everybody else that wants to get kind of be in his orbit. Right? And, and Jesus kind of shows us this, and we have these kind of relationships in our lives as well. Right? Your spouse or a brother or a sister or a friend or whoever it might be, that inner circle you share everything with, they're going to know more about you than some stranger or somebody that's just an acquaintance to you. Right? This is something that we all know, and we all recognize this truth that it takes a lot to really know a person. It takes a lot to just go beyond the superficial and to get to who that person is at their core and inner being. So we're going to return to that later. So I want you to have that in mind, you know, maybe the, the, the different relationships that you have. But today we're going to find Jesus with his disciples, and they are praying. And so Brad just read this to us uh, not too long ago, but I'm going to kind of go step by step through this interaction he has with his disciples. So they're praying, and the, if you remember, the disciples, they just kind of got back from this kind of world tour themselves, where they're going and talking about the kingdom of God. They've been given the power and authority to drive out demons and to cure people of their illnesses, and they kind of reconvene, right, maybe debrief a little bit, and they're praying together. And in this place, Jesus asked them this question, who do the crowds say that I am? And again, this goes back to a few weeks ago, Jesus asking good questions, Right? This is a kind of question that, that's going to draw out some answers right, from his disciples. Who do the crowds say that I am? Of course, Jesus probably knows the answer to this already. We can kind of go through that charade. But I find it interesting. It's almost like a debriefing of what's taken place on their journey. And so I can kind of feel the room. Maybe this is me just reading into the situation, but I feel a little bit of tension here. Because they've gotten to walk the steps of Jesus kind of a little bit, right? They've, they've been given the power and authority to do the things that Jesus was doing. They've kind of experienced boots-on-the-ground interactions that Jesus is probably experiencing every single day. And they ask them, who do the people say that I am? And they have a little bit more kind of scope, a little bit more reality to the situation that Jesus goes through. And this is what they say. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. And I don't know, maybe I'm, again, reading into this, but if I'm the disciples, maybe I'm lingering on some of these to see if Jesus lights up a little bit, right? If he says, some say John the Baptist, is he nodding in approval? He didn't say anything there, okay. Some say Elijah, nothing there, okay. And he goes through, maybe they're trying to see if Jesus is going to say, yes, you got that right. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but it seems that a lot of people have a lot of ideas as to who Jesus is. 
And then Jesus cuts directly to the core of the matter. We've heard about from people, but who do you say that I am, right? Who do you say that I am? And it's funny, and these are out of order, who do you say that I am? But it's funny because a few chapters ago, remember what the disciples were asking themselves when Jesus calmed the storm, do you remember? They said this, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Right? His inner circle, the people that are there learning and, be, and, and studying at his feet time and time again, every single day, they're asking this question, who is this? And eventually Jesus says, okay, you've kind of been around me long enough. I've given you power and authority to do all the things that I can do. You've been preaching the kingdom of God. You've had these boots on the ground interaction with the people. Now we're here. Who do you say that I am? I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about these outsiders. I'm talking about the people who should know me best. Who do you say that I am? God's Messiah. And just like that, we're only nine chapters into this gospel, but just like that, this is where the countdown begins. Up to this point, I'm not saying it's been roses for Jesus, <laughs> but from this point forward, everything is going directly to the cross. The moment his inner circle says God's Messiah is the moment the entire script changes for not only Jesus, but for the people who are following him, right? Because up to this point, Jesus has referred to himself as the Son of Man, identifying with humanity a lot. And the only people who have correctly identified Jesus have been who? Those demons, right? The people that are uh, possessed by these demonic spirits who are saying, get out of my sight, uh, Jesus, Son of God, right? Son of the Most High. The only people who have correctly identified him have been these demonic spirits. But now at this time, at this point, all these things have kind of come together to where his disciples are finally saying, you are God's Messiah. And everything's going to change now. Everything is going to change. They have seen all these things, and they're identifying him correctly, but yet still things are not clicking completely. Because, you know, I've said before, this is not the Messiah they've particularly been waiting for, right? They've been waiting for a Messiah like David, right? This is not the first Messiah that we've heard about in the Bible, because the word Messiah literally just means anointed one. So all the kings of Israel who, who stood before God and man as, as Israel's king were the anointed kings of Israel, the lowercase m messiahs. They were God's anointed one. If you go back to 1 Samuel like we did a couple years ago at this point, David and Saul were both anointed ones. But now we have no longer this lowercase m messiah. We have this uppercase m messiah because this is the one and only that's going to supersede all those other ones. The anointed ones, they were very important for a time, but they died. But we're going to find out a little bit more about this Messiah here in a second. And, I, and as I read this, and I get kind of pumped up because, like I said, this is the countdown for Jesus. This is where everything becomes a single pursuit towards the cross and having everybody reflect upon that. But what I'm also struck by is that Jesus is incredibly vulnerable in this situation. Incredibly vulnerable. And I don't think a lot of people like to think about Jesus as vulnerable. Because in our kind of lexicon, how we view that word, we often associate vulnerability with weakness. And we don't want to say Jesus is weak. So instead of having that interpretation, what I think we ought to do is instead of seeing vulnerability as a weakness, 
We should see it as an absolute strength. The vulnerability of Jesus amazes me here as he sits with his disciples, takes stock of what's going on around them, and continues to ask this question, who do you say that I am? What is going on? And it takes me back to this. What does it take to really know a person? Does it take these attributes of Jesus, the things that he did? We can write down all the miracles, all the things that he said, and, and it doesn't really even paint the complete picture of who Jesus was in the flesh. And what I think Jesus is doing here in this situation is trying to get beyond that and be completely vulnerable because humans are very good at detaching themselves from reality to show you what they want you to see, right? And I don't have to go through this because we all have social media, we all have Facebook, we post what we want to post, we want you to see a certain thing, I'm dressed a certain way because I want you to perceive me a certain way. We all do it. Even the person that says, I don't care what people think, guess what? They, 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 they might not, but they want you to know that they don't care what you think about them. So in a way, they are portraying something into the world to be taken in and dealt with, right? Every single person does this. We want the world to see us a certain way. And that's why these questions and these conversations and this whole sphere of what we're talking about is so important because unless we are vulnerable with one another, like Jesus is vulnerable here, I don't think we really get it. I think we miss the mark. I think we're missing out on what it takes to be a disciple because humans are very, very good at faking it. Because the deep waters of real relationships require this shared experience, right? And I find it interesting, it's, not, it's only after Jesus has all this time with the disciples, it's only after they question who this guy really is, it's only after he gives them this gift and this power and authority to drive out all the demons, it's only after all that shared experience does he ask them this question, who do you say that I am? after you know my full person, after you know all the things that we've been through, this question is asked, who do you say that I am? And they're able to answer correctly. But although they answer correctly, that I don't think they're ready for what Jesus is about to say. Like I said, the countdown starts now. God, this is God's Messiah, and then Jesus says this. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. That vulnerability? Okay. And he said, the Son of Man, back to calling himself the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God. Even with all the context in the world, even with all the shared experience, I don't think they really still fully knew the ramifications of what Jesus is saying to them here. Right? This isn't supposed to happen. This isn't supposed to be the way God's Messiah is supposed to reclaim Jerusalem, overthrow Rome, and here we are back again as God's people. Everybody lie in wait for our greatness to come forth. Right? That's what they're waiting for. 
That doesn't sound anything like that. This wouldn't get me too pumped up, right? If this is a halftime speech, I'm not really sure I want to go back out. I, I've been following this Messiah figure. You've been doing all these miraculous things. You're this anointed one. I call you God's Messiah. Here we are, and then you say this? This doesn't excite me. This isn't what I wanted it to be. But what's interesting is that we have all this perspective, and we see all these things in a different way, but yet we are still kind of struck with the same harsh reality. Even though we know all these things, even though we know that Jesus is going to come again, we know about the resurrection, right? This is still hard to hear. This is still hard to do in our lives. But what's so interesting is that all these things Jesus is saying, he's been giving us this glimpses of what the future is going to look like. These miracles are just signs to what is eventually going to happen. All the things that he's saying are glimpses of what he's going to continue to do. But unfortunately, it comes at a cost. And he said the Son of Man must suffer many things. Why? And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. Why? And if we stop there, that'd be really, really sad. <laughs> I wouldn't really necessarily think that would be do much of anything. But Jesus tells us all this stuff that has to happen. He must suffer. He must die. But in there, there's this little nugget of on the third day, he will be raised to life. And because of that, everything else makes a whole lot more sense. Not that I like it anymore. Not that I'm excited about that anymore. Especially not this part right here. Then he said to them all, if you want to be part of this, right, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in his glory of the Father and the holy angels. And I read this, and it's, it's not very exciting, but what's so beautiful about this is the reciprocity of what Jesus is saying here. I am going to suffer. I am going to die. You are going to suffer, and you have to suffer alongside me. But guess what? On the third day, I'm going to be raised. And guess what? You are going to save your life by following me. The reciprocity of Jesus cannot be overlooked in here. But that doesn't you know, dampen how difficult this message truly is. They must deny themselves. And in all this, I kind of get to this last question, the last two questions. All this that we know, I want you to put yourself in the perspective of the disciples. They've been with Jesus, they've been performing miracles, they've been doing all these great things, and they get to this place and they say, yes, you're God's Messiah, and he says, you're going to have to suffer. Is it worth it for them? Is it worth it for you? And what should we do? What should they do? What should we do after hearing this message? What Jesus is showing us is the full representation of God's love for us. Like I said last week, he showed us that with the feeding of the 5,000, that his love is going to keep going and going and going. His love is abundant. And in saying this and doing these things, he's showing us the full representation of what God's love can do for us. And while we try to gain the world, Jesus chose to enter into the world. 
And while we deny Jesus, Jesus embraces us and gives himself over to us. That vulnerable Jesus is here in this place. There's a couple of things that I want us to take away from this. This vulnerable Jesus, Jesus entering in this place and saying, I have to suffer and so do you, but here's where it all goes. Is it worth it? I would like to, th- I would like to think yes. But there's a couple of things I want us to think about today. Choose joy over shame, okay? This is uh, from Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't have this uh, highlighted or underlined in your Bible, I really encourage you to do so. Um, it encapsulates all we're talking about this morning. Beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you hear that part there? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The cross, the ultimate excruciating pain, we, we, we could get on to the physical details of all that, the separation from God, all that experience that he did, he, he chose that with joy because he knew it was coming next. And on the cross, he took on our shame, the shamefulness of this vulnerability, the shamefulness of the cross, the shamefulness of a near-naked Jesus who is being crucified before his peers. He took all that. That shame that we should be experiencing, Jesus says, no more. Stop. I've showed you what's going to come. I've showed you there's joy to be found in following me. There's joy to be found in the suffering that you might be experiencing today. And guess what? I've already taken all that shame. Jesus does not want us to experience shame in this way. He wants us to say, you know what? There's joy found in Jesus. And I'm going to go towards that. But the only reason why this is possible is because Jesus was vulnerable with his creation. Jesus was vulnerable not only on the cross in a very, very difficult and and embarrassing situation to be up there like that. His vulnerability through all of his interactions. Imagine being the creator of the universe and having to talk to us. (laughs) That is crazy. But it's in that vulnerability, it's in that relational uh, attitude that Jesus always carried with him is where we get all of our source of encouragement from of what's going to happen later. This joy that we can experience through Jesus. So if we've seen Jesus do it, we need to choose this joy over shame. But there's also this. We need to seek vulnerable relationships with other Christians. And I know there's some people in here that do not want to seek any kind of relationship with anybody really in this building. I get it. Sometimes you come here and you're just a consumer, and I am so glad that you're here, but I think there's so much more that you can benefit from the church if you do this. And I'm not just talking about joining a small group, which I think is a fantastic way to get started. If you're not in a small group, you're really missing out. You can stop listening to me and just join a small group. That might be better for your life, okay? Um, But the vulnerability that you have in these closer relationships is going to transform how you go through situations. 
If you think you have it all figured out and you don't have a circle of people in your life that are Christians, you're missing out. If you say, well, I have a circle of people. They're not necessarily Christians. You need a, a different set of people. Keep those people. Don't, you know, get, get them out of your lives. Don't do that. But if they are not people who are seeking to serve the world like Jesus did, I think there's much more that you could be experiencing in your life. So if you're looking around and you're saying, I don't really have any friends here, I hope that you make a, uh, 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 an agenda item in your life, I, I, I ran out of the word to say, uh, to go and find a friend, to find a, a place, uh, to find a group of people that you can encircle yourself with to have this type of vulnerable relationship that we see Jesus having here on earth. Because I think it's from there that transformed the world. It's from there that the disciples were able to go and to do all the miraculous things they were able to do. And like I say all the time, it's because of these relationships that we are sitting here in Melbourne, Florida in 2024 still talking about Jesus. Because Jesus got into vulnerable relationships with his friends, shared everything with them, and they were so captivated by that message, they had to go and keep telling people about it. That's why we're here today. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for giving us the opportunity to be in your word this morning. I pray that we're encouraged by uh, Luke 9. I, I pray that we're encouraged by Jesus, honestly. Like, the, the, it's hard, it's, it's kind of weird to talk about the vulnerability of Christ and, and his relationships, but he was fully man, and he relied on his disciples to continue to carry his message. And God, I'm so thankful for that, and I, I'm a little bit intimidated by that because we are his disciples as well. And we are called to do the exact same thing. Help us to be uh, good uh, carriers of, of your word to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So God, uh, guys, this morning I want to encourage you that this is the time where we invite you to come forward. Uh, you don't have to come forward. We have elders that stand in the back. Uh, we have cell phones that you could text us and we could get you know, a conversation going after. Uh, but if you're struggling with this this morning, uh, this vulnerability, if you're struggling with the, the vulnerability of Jesus, if you're offended by the way I talked about Jesus, come talk to me about it. Don't talk to other people about it. I would love to have a conversation with you. I would love to hear where you're coming from. And I would love to get into this place where we can just continue to talk about Jesus and how he's impacting our lives and the lives of the people around us. But if you have any needs at all, we do invite you to come while we stand and sing.